Good singing. You guys sounded good. I love, I just love singing with you guys. I mean, you know, it's like the whole world's here almost. Well, a lot of people are here from different places around the world. And it's a foretaste of heaven to just sing the praises of God uh, together. And uh, I hearken back to our first meeting when it was Karen and me and one other person. And yeah, this is more fun. <laughs> so, uh, thanks for singing out. I enjoyed listening to you sing. One of my favorite books on the book table, and I meant to grab it. I'll grab it quickly. Is this one. The Case for Creator by Lee Strobel. Strobel makes a compelling uh, argument for an intelligent designer. Of course, as Christians, as biblical Christians, we would not call him an intelligent designer. We would call him uh, God. Um, one of the arguments for God in this book from the scientific community is the beauty of the created order. The beauty of the created order. Not just the beauty naked to, uh, or, or accessible to the naked eye, but the invisible beauty of the natural laws that govern all that we see. Not merely beauty in a macro sense, but beauty in a micro sense. That, mean, that meaning at the subatomic level. So, yeah, just relax. I'm, I'm going to get off this in a minute. But I have to share this with you. It's in this book. If you read it, I think you'll, you'll enjoy it. Physicists use words like beauty. They use words like elegance and symmetry and proportionality when they discuss the, the, the governing laws of the cosmos. You know, atheistic macro-Darwinian uh, uh, naturalists, they can't account for the beauty and the symmetry and the proportionality in the created order. They can't really account for it. Their theory postulates uh, chaos and savage brutality. There's no accounting for the beauty and symmetry that we see in the cosmos. Steve Weinberg, he's a physicist and an atheist, he asserts that the criteria of beauty and elegance have been used to guide physicists in formulating right laws. His point is that when there's a choice in, in choosing which way to go and trying to understand the natural laws that, that govern the universe, they pursue the, the, the option that is most elegant. And they discover that it is correct. Listen to theoretical physicist Alan Guth. The original construction of the gauge theories of fundamental particle physics was motivated, motivated mainly by their mathematical elegance. I love that. Their mathematical elegance. In other words, in trying to solve the problems of science, some of the basic problems of science, they err to elegance. They err to beauty. Steven Weinberg again, he says, sometimes nature seems more beautiful than strictly necessary. Beloved, this is a fingerprint. This is a fingerprint of God. This is the hint of God. This is the hint of God. Romans chapter 1, God says, I am conspicuous through what has been made. Men are without excuse. My invisible attributes are clearly seen through the genius of the created order. 
When he comes to Job, what does God appeal to? To separate himself from the lowly creature Job who's questioning God. Does anyone remember? God appeals to the creation. He says, where were you when I did this? Do you know how the stars move? Do you understand why the, 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 the sea stays in its boundary? Do you understand this, Job? Tell me if you know. When God means to declare His glory before His, His creatures, oftentimes, He appeals to the created order. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. The heavens declare it. I read another book several years ago. Some of you may have read it. Um, it's called The Sacred Romance by John Eldridge and Brent Curtis. Anybody ever read this book? I love this book. It's a great book. You know, he's not a theologian, so you just can't hold him. You can't hold his feet too close to the fire. He's not a theologian. Eldridge is not. But he makes some really good points. Their take on, on Christianity is that at its core, it's a romance. And I like that analogy. That's what I see on the pages of Scripture. A romance between God and His redeemed. It's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. I like what Eldridge and Curtis say about the human heart. Um, I remember reading this statement, and I remember as soon as I read it, I knew it was true. And the more I thought about it, I was absolutely sure that it was true. This is what they wrote. There is in the heart of every man, woman and child, an inconsolable longing for intimacy, beauty, and adventure. Do you believe it? You might not have thought about it like that, but when I read it, I realized that's in my heart. I want those things. I desire those things. I, I love those things. Intimacy. To be, to be known completely and to know completely. To be in perfect love and communication. To, to, de, to desire and to be desired. Perfect oneness tenderness, kindness, and mutual delight. Beloved, I want to say to you, that is knowing Jesus Christ. The definition of intimacy is knowing God the Son. They mention beauty. The human soul wants to see it. It wants to be in awe of it. It wants to drink it up. It wants to savor it. Our souls desire this. It res our souls respond to it. We are in awe of beauty when we see it. It seems to fit in this place in our soul. Beloved, I want to say to you that that's seeing Jesus Christ. That's seeing Jesus Christ. The last one is adventure. To be fully engaged. To, to have our capacities and our talents and, and abilities fully engaged in some worthy endeavor to give ourselves and to spend ourselves for something bigger than ourselves. Amen? And what I want to say to you, that's walking with Jesus Christ. So I think Eldridge and Curtis is right. I think they're right. The human soul desires intimacy, beauty, and adventure. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus and if you'll go to Him for these things, you'll never want again. <laughs> you'll never be wanting again. I know it sounds like fairy tale stuff. It does sound like fairy tale stuff, right? I love what one theologian said. He said, The world of the Gospel contains all the elements of the world of fairy tale with one notable exception. The Gospel is what? It's true. <laughs> it's, it's, it really happened. 
It's true. Not only did it happen once upon a time, but it's, it's happening still and it will happen for countless eternities. Why do fairy tales, why are they told and why do they endure? Because they resonate. They resonate in the human heart. Unblemished purity. Daring courage. Unquenchable passion. Sacrificial love. These things resonate. Unconditional forgiveness. Happily ever after. It all resonates, right? It's the Gospel. Beloved, it's the Gospel. It's this awesome Gospel. God has put eternity in the heart of man. He tells us this in Ecclesiastes 3.11. And only Jesus can fill that eternity up. Now you may be trying to fill it up with things in the world, but you will fail. You will fail. It's impossible. It cannot happen. You must have Jesus Christ to find intimacy, beauty, and adventure. So, that's my introduction to what I want to preach to you about tonight. I'm, I'm going to preach to you about the beauty of God. I bet many of you have never thought about it. You probably feel it sometimes. You, those of you who are born again, you, you feel it in your soul, but you don't often articulate it or consciously think about it. He is a beautiful God. It's what the physicists see in the physics. It's what the Christian knows is true about his Redeemer. God is beautiful. He is desirable. He is satisfaction. Ultimate satisfaction for the soul of man. We finished our Hebrews 11 series. You know, that, that great series on, on faith, the, the never look back kind of faith. No risk is too great. Glad, reckless joy. Faith, blood, sweat, and tears. Faith. This is the kind of faith that God calls His people to. And we see so few in the modern church actually living. But this is the kind of faith that God calls us to. This is His definition of faith. Sixteen named individuals. He said, they did it. That's how I want you to live. And we've been talking about since we got through with Hebrews 11. Why we have this license to do it. Why can we live faith huge? Because our faith is so great and because our view of ourselves is so great. Is that it? No. What is it? We've been talking about it for the last four or five weeks. It's because our God is so great. And our view of God is so great. Beloved, if you don't have a great view of God, there's no way you'll ever live the Christian life. No way! You'll live it in some small, manageable, church kind of way. God means for His people to know who He is and radically live it out. That's what we've been talking about. These last few we talked about these last few weeks. That's what we've been talking about as far as we mentioned that He's a sovereign God. He reigns. Let the peoples tremble. Let the earth shake. Psalm 99. He reigns. He's omnipotent. He effortlessly speaks 400 plus billion galaxies into existence. God says, none can stay my hand in heaven and earth. He is faithful. He's an irrepressible promise keeper. We've talked about this. He is a rewarder. He keeps faith forever, Psalm 146. And last week we talked about the fact that He is a good God. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. And that's what Hebrews 11.6 says. You must not only believe that I'm God, you must believe I'm good. If you don't believe He's good, you'll never do Hebrews 11. You just won't do it. 
You may believe that He is, but if you don't believe He's good, you'll never step out and take a risk for the Lord. Tonight, I want to talk about the fact that He is beautiful. I want to say to you that His sovereignty, His omnipotence, His faithfulness, and His goodness tend to move my feet. But what I want to say to you, His beauty moves my heart. Yes? His beauty moves my heart. And really, we could say that his, uh, uh, apprehending His beauty is a precursor to Hebrews 11 faith. You say, well, Jim, how do you know He's beautiful? You've never seen Him. Well, we know from His Word that He's beautiful. He tells us that He's beautiful. And we're going to look at that tonight just in a, in a brief way. But I know He's beautiful because I can feel it in my soul, right? All of you who are born again, you feel it. You can almost taste how beautiful He is as you soar in your spirit when you meditate on His perfections and, and when you're in prayer with Him and when you're having those intimate times with Him and when you're in His Word and you, boom, there He is. And He opens up your heart and He teaches you something new. If you're born again, you know He's beautiful. <laughs> you don't have to see a photograph. <laughs> you know. You know. He's beautiful. Not only does His Word tell us that He's beautiful, we know He's beautiful. So I want to spend a few minutes tonight and talk about the beauty of God. Now, the word that's most often used in Scripture when talking about the beauty of God, you could probably guess it if I gave you a few minutes. It's the word glory. It appears in the Bible 400 times approximately. But one of the... Uh, one of the meanings of the word glory, there are many different facets to the word, but, but one of the facets is the fact that God is beautiful. Both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, this is true. The Hebrew connotes majesty and splendor, a shining, a grandeur, a greatness, a beauty. The Greek connotes a brightness, a, a, a majesty, a magnificence, and a wonder. Beloved, Jesus Christ is beautiful. Jesus Christ, He is these things. Just a short illustration. Think of all the beauty you've ever seen, okay? Think about it. Think of all the beauty you've ever seen. Think about all the beauty every man, every woman, every boy and girl ever born has ever seen. Think about it. Think about all the beauty man has yet to discover and see in the seemingly infinite expanse of space. Add all that up and multiply it times the largest number you can think of. Okay, are you there? <laughs> what I want to say to you is, all that beauty is less than one single molecule of water in the infinite ocean that is the beauty of Jesus Christ. Beloved, forever we will be apprehending and discovering and savoring His beauty. He will fill our hearts for a billion and we will, after the first billion eternities, we will have only just begun to discover the genius and the beauty and the glory and the majesty and the satisfaction that, that is in Jesus Christ. I love this. I love talking about Him. I love talking about Him. You know, in all the beauty in the world, I was driving over to church and I was looking at all the trees. I mean, who else can turn a green leaf into a gold leaf and then into a red leaf? Just so I might delight in it. Yeah, I was driving over and I was, I was, Karen had some beautiful music on and these strings, these, these really high strings were just, were just, it was just beautiful. 
and my thoughts, my spirit soars and it goes to God. I know it's from Him. <laughs> I know it's from Him. The Bible says, Psalm 50, verse 2, God shines in beautiful slash glorious radiance. I'm going to use the word glory and beautiful as synonyms, okay, throughout the, the message. I love how the paraphrase, the message says this. It says, God blazes in beauty. He blazes in beauty. Psalm 27, 4, David writes, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Psalm 90, 17, Moses writes, And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Psalm 26, 8, I love Your sanctuary, Lord, the place where Your glory slash beauty shines. Psalm 148.13, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is excellent. His radiance is above heaven and earth. Most of you will be familiar with Isaiah 6.3. And one angel cried out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His bright glory or beauty, it fills the whole earth. Psalm 24.10, who is the King of glory? You heard me read this one earlier. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts is the King of glory. In essence, David is saying, the Lord is the King of beauty. Our God is the King of magnificence and splendor and wonder and grandeur and brilliance. This beautiful God not only makes the life of faith, the Hebrews 11 life of faith possible, this beautiful God makes it desirable. I said this to you last week. But if we've learned God correctly, we understand. Not only is it possible because He's so awesome, it is desirable that I would give myself away to this awesome God. Because I, we've, we've said it many times, what happens for the Christian when he obeys radically? What happens? Someone tell. Can anyone tell me? What happens? When, when um, I say this to you a lot, when the Christian radically obeys the Lord, what happens? God comes. In a new way. God meets His people in obedience. Jesus said, if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments, and I will come to you and disclose Myself to you. Beloved, this is the best reason to obey the Lord. Not because you're a good church member and you want to check your box and, and, and be a good rule keeper. I mean, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But the best reason to obey the Lord is that God is coming. It's a God encounter. Obedience is always a God encounter. Reminds me of these guys in Revelation chapter 4. You heard me open the, the, the night with this great text. These guys, they just look at God. If you heard me read the text, that's all they do is they look at God. For a billion eternities past, they've just been looking at God. This is all they do. They don't do anything else. They look at God. My seminary professor asked, some of you have heard me tell this story, he asked the question, if you tapped one of them on the shoulder, do you think they would turn around? The breathtaking answer is, no way would he turn around. He's only just begun. <laughs> to savor the beauty that is I am. He's been doing it for a billion eternities, but there's no way He's going to turn around. 
and look at you. <laughs> he's, looking at, uh, he's looking at beauty. He is looking at eternal, infinite beauty. My seminary professor called it the eternal gasp. I like that. The eternal gasp. And so it will be for the redeemed forever. Beloved, God is beautiful. He is desirable. He satisfies the human soul. If you don't understand that Jesus Christ is beautiful and if you don't thusly desire Him with all of your heart, you have not learned Him correctly. You probably haven't met Him yet. If you don't understand that He is desirable above all things, if you've not yet come to that conclusion, you've got, you're a victim of bad theology. <laughs> you're a victim of bad theology. Biblical theology is that Jesus is infinitely beautiful and He satisfies the heart and soul of His people. John Eldridge, in another one of his books, he says that you, know, you walk into your average church in the U.S. and it's full of bored people. Beloved, that is, should be an oxymoron. <laughs> A bored Christian is an oxymoron. If you're a bored Christian, you're not really a Christian. You may be a church member, but you're not really a Christian. If you're in relationship with Christ, you can't be bored. You can't be bored. If you think God is boring, you've not met Him yet, beloved. You've not met Him yet. And I encourage you to, to seek Him and pursue Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love how A.W. Tozer says that he was a great preacher back in the 40s and 50s. He said, Biblical theology itself is a beautiful thing. Beautiful because it is the mind reasoning about the true God. It is the mind down on its knees in a state of breathless devotion reasoning about Jesus Christ. It's real worship. It's real worship. Our God is breathtakingly beautiful. And He is the impetus and the fuel for Hebrews 11. You can't do Hebrews 11 unless you know Him. He's the impetus for Hebrews 11, and He's the fuel on which you can do Hebrews 11. If we survey Scripture quickly, we see that several men were granted a partial glimpse of the glory I'll say the splendor, magnificence, and beauty of the living God. Ezekiel saw a vision of the glorified Christ and in awe he hid his face. Daniel saw a vision of the glorified Christ and in awe he hid his face. Peter, James, and John saw the glorified Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and in awe they hid their face. John saw him again in the Revelation when Jesus came to give him the Revelation and John hid his face, his glory, his beauty. They couldn't even stand before it. Beloved, our God's awesome. He's beautiful. Yeah, if you're believing in some little teeny God, that's not the biblical God. <laughs> our God's awesome. Our God is awesome. Here's some of the things that they said when they saw the Lord. Ezekiel says, there was an awesome gleam of crystal and a, a sapphire uh, throne he saw. The voice of the Almighty was like the sound of a tumult, like many waters. Ezekiel uh, continues, he said, I saw the appearance of a man. There was radiance around him. The radiance was the appearance of a rainbow. 
Daniel writes this, I saw the Ancient of Days on His throne. His garment was like white uh, snow. His hair was like pure wool. And His throne was ablaze with flames. His body was like a precious stone. Actually, the text says burl, and I had to look that up. I didn't know what it was. It's, it, it, it can come in many colors, but most commonly, it's a blue-green uh, kind of deep sea color um, stone. Daniel says his face had the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches. Matthew 17, 2. His face shone like the sun. His garments were as white as light. And then John in the Revelation. John writes, He was girded with a golden girdle. His hair was white like white wool. His eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, glowing in a furnace. His face was like the sun shining in its strength. There's one word that permeates all of those descriptions. I know it would be impossible for you to pick it up. Um, It's the word like. (laughs) They can't really articulate it. Right? They can't really get there. The the language of, of men and angels fail to describe the glory of the Creator, Redeemer, God. You know, it's like, it's similar, it's akin, it's, it approximates, it's comparable, it resembles. But they can't get there. They cannot get there to quantify or itemize the beauty of I Am. A.W. Tozer is right. You cannot find the language that will tell what God is. <laughs> there is no human language that will tell what God is. One of Satan's most effective lies is that the here and now is all that there is. This is as good as it gets. And a lot of people buy into it. They think this is as good as it gets. So I'm going to live for the world. I give myself to the world. I do what the world says. This is as good as it gets. It's a great lie, beloved. If we believe our Bibles, we understand that. 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul says, Satan is blinding the mind of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the Gospel of the glory, beauty of Christ, who is the image of God. And then listen to what Paul says, God does in the believer's heart. This is, when he, this is when God quickens us. We're born again. When He does that supernatural work in our heart. Listen. 2 Corinthians 4.6 For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness at the creation, Genesis chapter 1, He's the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory slash beauty of God in the face of Christ. The born again Christian is awakened to what beauty really is. Suddenly awakened. It's, like, it's as if we've been sleepwalking all of our lives. Until Christ awakens us and we are unleashed from the mundane and from the gray and dreary. Listen to how Eugene Peterson paraphrases that verse, 2 Corinthians 4.6. I love it. Listen to what he says. It started when God said, light up the darkness. And our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. Beloved, our God is a beautiful God. I I pray you know Him like that tonight. C.S. Lewis says about, about heaven, or about the human heart as it relates to heaven, 
He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was not made for this world. I was made for another world. The Christian understands this. The born-again believer understands this. He's on his way. He or she is on his way to an all-satisfying, beautiful God. So I'm going to spend the last few minutes talking about heaven. I've just got to say a word about heaven. The Bible's description of the beauty of heaven at least gives us some small idea of not only the one who dwells there, but the one who created it. So it, I think it behooves us to spend a few minutes to talk about heaven. Let me first say that the, the adversary has done a good job in this regard. He's got uh, the world believing that one, either heaven doesn't exist or it's a boring place to be. <laughs> I mean, he's co-opted the conversation out in the world. And many preachers don't preach on it anymore. You know that we've preached on it a lot in this church. You know, it's as if the church has forgotten that this is not our home. We're on our way to our home. Many professed Christians never give heaven a second thought. They've forgotten that they are passing through. You and I are passing through Beloved, so I think it spends. It, 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 I think it's a good idea to spend just a few minutes talking about heaven. Yeah, Satan's got the world this cartoonish view of you know fluffy clouds and sexless cherubs and playing harps and and one long church service. You know, he's got the world believing this. Actually, people in the church will believe this because we haven't studied the Word and we haven't spent quiet time with the Lord. And been in awe of his beauty. Just briefly, if we go back and think about Hebrews 11, we understand that it was the, the principal fuel of their lives. God and the, the, the hope of heaven was the fuel of their lives. Four times in Hebrews 11, the text talks about heaven. John Piper is right. Human life is all about God, period. I know some of you have heard me say this before. If you don't know that yet, then you haven't figured it out yet. You're still operating uh, under wrong assumptions. Human life is all about God. It's not just about Him on Sunday. And it's not just about Him when, I, when, I, uh, when it's convenient. It's about Him all the time, beloved. It's about Him all the time. Piper is right. Knowing Him, loving Him, worshiping Him, obeying Him, pursuing Him, and preparing to be with Him uh, is the job of the Christian I've said this a lot in the last year. Philippians 1.21 Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I am hard-pressed in both directions, having desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is, someone tell me, going to be a real drag. What does he say? That will be very much better. Beloved, that should inform every day you get up. If God gives me another day, praise God, I'll live it for His glory. If God takes me home, praise God, I'll be with Jesus. That should inform every single day that you live. There should be nothing above that premise. Nothing above that premise. So, I think it's good to spend a few minutes. We'll talk about heaven just for a few minutes. I'm going to turn to Revelation 21. You can go with me there if you want. Revelation 21. I'm just going to read verse 10 and 11. This is John. Revelation 21, 10. 
And He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Verse 11, Having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. Who knows what a jasper is? It's like a diamond. Crystal clear jasper. I love what MacArthur says. I'm going to read verses 18-21, to but I'm going to preface that with a comment here by John MacArthur. Listen to what he says. The overpowering radiance of God's glory and beauty will refract and glisten through the entire New Jerusalem. The gems that you'll hear me read about, the gems picture a brilliant, indescribable, striking and spectacular exhibition of the beautiful colors that will be sent forth through the New Jerusalem from the glory of God. From the glory and beauty of God. So, verse 18 of Revelation 21. And the material of the wall was jasper, again, like, like a diamond. And the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city uh, were all adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone, again, was jasper, like a diamond. The second was sapphire, which is blue. The third was uh, chalcedony, which is uh, a pale blue. The fourth is an emerald, which is green. The fifth is uh, sardox which is uh, layers of red and white. The sixth is Sardis, which is red. The seventh is um, Christolite, which is yellow. The eighth is Beryl, which is a green or yellow or blue. The ninth is Topaz, yellow or green. The tenth is Chrysoprase, which is green. The eleventh, Jacith, which is violet. The, the twelfth is Amethyst, which is purple. Verse 21. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each one the gates of a single pearl. And the, go- and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Can you imagine? <laughs> Beloved, this is just a, a picture of the beauty of God. The place where He dwells, it's just a picture and a reflection, an extension of His beauty. Verse 22, And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord uh, God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, and the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp is the Lamb. Drop down to chapter 22, verse 1. And He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as a crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Drop down to 22.4. And they shall see His face. And His name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall no longer be any night. And they shall not have need of uh, the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them. And they shall reign forever and ever. Beloved, I fear that too many in the modern church have a small view of God. Beloved, we we need to get back to that place where we're in awe. And, and when you get to that place where you're in awe, it will fuel your life of faith. It will fuel your life of faith. Piper says one thing, you know, he says, he says, you know, as a fallen human being living on this planet, we can't even really worship in a, in a way that we'd like because of the stamina problem. We simply run out of stamina. We simply get tired. The beautiful thing about heaven is we never will grow weary. <laughs> we'll never grow fit. We'll have the stamina to worship Him in a manner that is worthy. Of him. 
A.W. Tozer commenting on Isaiah 9.6 says this, Only He, only I am, can engage and excite the wonder of the angels and the seraphim and the cherubim and the archangels and all beings and creatures. He will do that forever. God is beautiful. He designed man with an appetite for beauty and only Christ fills the bill. I'm going to close with A.W. Tozer. He says it like this, Heaven is unspeakably beautiful. God is the perfection of beauty and He resides there. Hell is a place of unrelieved ugliness and moral deformity. Then he says, Earth lies halfway between heaven and hell. Earth knows ugliness and beauty. And the inhabitants of earth must decide whether they will seek the beauty of heaven or the ugliness of hell. He continues, Jesus Christ came that He might save us from the everlasting ugliness that is far from God. Christ will bring all those who come to Him to the beauty that is God. Christ came in order to take us back with Him to the place which is the perfection of beauty. I want to say, I think I said it to you earlier, nothing in this world is going to fill up your soul, Christian, or unbeliever. Friend, I'll call you friend. I'm sure we have believers and unbelievers in here. Nothing will fill up your soul but God. You can try. You can try for a thousand years. Not only will your soul be empty, but everything you've acquired will be ashes in your hands. Anything in this world that you treasure will, be, will turn into ashes in your hands. God is beautiful. Listen to what Jesus says. To a sheep. In my Father's house are many mansions. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may also be. That's John 14. And I turn over, I'm just going to share with you briefly from John 17. Jesus says, as he prays to his Father, Lord, I pray that they will be with me, that they may behold my beauty. This, this is what awaits us, beloved. This is what awaits us. God is beautiful. It should fuel your Christianity. Okay, you failed miserably on your homework assignment last week. Okay, this week you've got, you know, you've got to double up. I want you to meditate on his goodness. And I want you to think of all the ways that you can, can uh, see the beauty of God and feel the beauty of God in your life. <coughs> Beloved, we, we can't be real Christians if we're not meditating on His perfections. We'll simply fall back and conform with the world. We'll shrink back every time. We won't risk anything for Christ unless, we've, unless we're caught up in who He is and we're meditating on Him. And we, we go out into the world filled up with Him. Amen? Filled up with Him. This is the way Christians are supposed to live. Hopelessly in love. Hopelessly in love with Him. Enamored with His goodness and His beauty. I challenge you this week. Goodness and beauty.
Meditate. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. Forgive every one of us in here. I know. I'll speak for myself. I know I have not meditated on your beauty and on your perfections as I ought. I know I have not recounted all your goodness to me as I ought. Father, I know that as we meditate on You, as we, we, we learn who You are from Your Word. I know that that's our fuel on the good day and on the bad day, on the hard day, when everything's gone wrong. Our God is good and our God is beautiful and I'm on my way to be with Him. In a few moments, I'll be with Him. I'm a vapor upon the earth. It was a hard day, but it really doesn't matter. My God is God and I'm on my way to God. So Lord, I pray that we would learn to think like this. I pray, Father, that we would be biblically sound. That our, our theology of You would be formed only by Scripture. And You tell us that You are beautiful. So Lord, I pray that we would not only know that deeply, but that we would be motivated by it. It would move our hearts. It would move our hearts into Hebrews 11. Radical faith. Radical obedience. Oh Lord, and we, we learn that in radical obedience, You come to us. You show up. And You fill us with wonder and awe. So we worship You, great God, tonight. We worship You. We praise You. In the name of Jesus. Amen.